you know, like I used to go to races when I first started and like the anxiety I would have for a race was epic. Like, I didn't even know why I enjoyed racing. I, cause really I didn't enjoy it. I, I hated it. <laughs> sports fans and welcome to episode four. Uh, didn't think I'd get this far, but here I am um, working on the next podcast. So today I'm talking with Logan Moore, who's uh, a local coach in Auckland, doing something a little different to what you'd normally expect of a coach. He's built up his own community and been really led by his experience of racing himself. So we're going to jump straight in uh, and Logan's going to jump in and tell us more about his experience in cycling. In general, cycling has kind of, it's been my life for the last maybe 15 years since I um, started in school. So how did you get into to cycling at school? Uh, it was kind of funny. So I, I used to do motocross when I was a kid. You know, I think I was about 12 to about maybe 11 to 14 or something. So not that long, but um, I was really into it. Like I, that was my passion in life was motocross. So, so what exactly, because I know a few people that do cross over from motocross into cycling. It seems mm. to be like a, a close gap. I'm not sure why, but um, yeah. can you explain kind of what, what, um, what it is motocross? Motocross, so you ride a motorbike that's, it's basically like a mountain bike motorbike. It's... Um, massive suspension the races are typically quite short they're like criteriums you basically all line up uh, on a grid on a dirt track and it's got all sorts of jumps and corners and yeah the gate drops you go full gas into the first corner 20 guys around this first bend um, and then it's just chaos for for 20 minutes you just full gas over the jumps into the corners getting knocked off and um, you know, you spend most of the time with loss of traction, mm. just power sliding around corners and things. And but basically, you're you're stood up the whole time. Like you you're just kind of you're half sitting off the saddle by a few inches, and that just gives you a little bit more suspension. Especially when you hit a jump. The first time I ever hit a jump, I sat down and landed, and it's like being punched in the kidneys as hard as you can. Like you feel so sick. So you have to stand up the whole time. So like your quads and everything um, are just screaming and you're trying to control this 100 kilo machine, throwing it around, you're slipping and sliding and kicking off the ground and stuff. And I mean, after 30 minutes, you're, you're absolutely ruined. Like your, your arms are pumped up, you know, your, your quads and back are, are nailed. And, and I definitely found in these races, apart from my skill level wasn't wasn't up there with the top guys either, but also just fitness. Like I was getting to the end of a race, and the intensity was just coming out of out of the race. I just couldn't I just couldn't push hard anymore because I was I was um, you know puffed and muscles were were blowing up and and so I so was. This is, this is when you were still at school as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like a little kid. <laughs> I was on like a um, called a it's called a big wheel eighty. So yeah, so I wasn't getting. I just wanted to get better, and I, I, it was my passion at the time. And um, but my my mum wasn't like super keen on me doing it because she thought it was quite a dangerous sport. Um, she wanted me to get into things like triathlon and stuff, and she was always kind of pushing me. But I didn't like the idea of wearing light curl spandex, mm. like. I just thought it was, looked ridiculous and um, 
I just didn't really understand it. But I had this teacher at school who he was he was really into cycling and he ran the cycling team and he was always looking for people to join and I was quite good at cross country and stuff and and he had this garage just full of old bikes and he would, he would kind of rent them out to people for the, the cycling season and he kind of just offered this bike to me and said in two months um, the school cycling series starts and it was um, we used to do these waterfront team time trials on the on Tamaki Drive on the waterfront and I had no idea what that was no idea what it meant or anything but he said you know in, in two months this thing's gonna start so take the bike and start riding and we'll get you on a team and get you into it and so for two months I, I had this bike and it literally just sat in in the lounge or downstairs for I did not touch it I didn't do anything I went and bought some of the gear like the shorts and stuff and uh, some shoes but I just was not interested and then like I was in class one day and he said oh there's a cycling meeting you're in the team um, we're gonna like chat about it because it's coming up soon so we go to this meeting and I sort of all these guys that I had never really met before even like they're at my school but so, so, so how old are you at this point 15 so you're 15, you're in school, yeah. and they've got a team within school, a cycling team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And is that normal for, for so, New yeah, Zealand? So yeah, in New Zealand, uh, I mean, I'm coaching a school at the moment, and they have about 30 kids. It's a boys' school. Wow. And, but yeah, it's massive. There's like 2,000 kids maybe uh, go to these things in Auckland. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, organized kind of road teams in schools was just, mm. where I was from, was just never heard of. Yeah, And yeah. even cycling wasn't yeah. even a thing in school. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea, so I hadn't, didn't even really know what you did in road cycling. Like I just thought you kind of just rode your bike and didn't understand all the drafting and all the tactics and the team time trial. I just figured we were all just going to ride together and that was it really. And I kind of had this inflated idea that how good I was going to be. We had this like meeting, he's like, this Sunday we've got our first team time trial, here's a list of the teams, um, you have to be on Mechanics Bay and Tamaki Drive at 5.30 in the morning on a Sunday to, we're gonna warm up and stuff. And I was like, oh Jesus, like, I've never been up that early before. I didn't even 100% know if I wanted to like do it or anything, I'd done zero training. So I like, okay, so anyway, I guess he, he didn't really give me an option either. It was kind of like, yep, you're on the team, be here. If you don't turn up, all these other guys are gonna be really disappointed. They're not gonna be able to race. So. So I did, I turned up and I kind of thought like he'd put me in the B team. So I, I thought, oh yeah, it's gonna be easy. Like these are just B, B riders. Um, yeah, turned up and they all kind of just looked at me like this newbie cyclist to no idea. And they were kind of like, oh God, like I'm gonna have to ride with this guy. So we, we line up on sort of a mechanics bay and Tamaki Drive right on the water and it's still dark. Like I think we started at 6.30 or something and it's winter. So in New Zealand, it's a winter sport. So that it's kind of the same season for like the schools racing as the European season. It kind of starts in April, May, somewhere okay. around there. So it's already, days are short, it's getting colder. Yeah, we start, I, I don't even know if I had clip-in shoes. I think I just had sneakers. And within the first 100 to 200 meters, I was already fully tapped. And these guys are kind of, you know, they're just easing into the ride and, and get, making sure we all kind of stick together. And within five, six hundred metres, I'm way out the back already, dropped. 
and they kind of just press on and, and keep That writing. was it really. And I kind of had and, this inflated uh, idea that how good I was well, going to well, be. I'll just finish this thing and ride and rode all along Tamaki Drive and up to St. Helier's, did the turnaround, came all the way back and I was kind of just blown away at how fast I was riding. I think I was sitting on like 30k an hour. Like to me that was so fast and I was just impressed at what I could actually do. Even though it was terrible, like, you know, I'd been dropped and hadn't had the best ride. And as I was coming back, like the sun was coming up. For anyone that's sort of been on Tamaki Drive in the morning, it's quite a picturesque kind of place. Mm. And yeah, it was, it was just a, a nice morning and I, I finished it like super pumped. So that's got kind of a bit of a, <coughs> a different initiation to cycling to most people. Yeah. Most people go out for a, a coffee and a cake and, and, and kind of slowly get into it. You, you've got thrown into racing at the deep end. Yeah. Um, and you've kind of gone on from there to, to, to yeah. where you are now. So how did it go from from when you finished that race to, to then mm. kind of like to where you are now? Well then like, so with motocross, my biggest frustration was that I couldn't, I was, wasn't in control of my own training or improvement. So I was relying on my parents to drive me to the track and blah, blah, blah. But with cycling, I could just roll out the front door and just head off. And so I started after that, I was quite motivated. I didn't want to be the one that got dropped anymore. So I just, I mean, I didn't know anything. I just kind of thought, well, if I ride more, I'm going to get better. So I just started after school three or four times a week. I would just head out and go for a ride and I would just go out and back. I didn't know where to go. Like, yeah, I just did that and I, I rapidly got better and before long I was kind of one of the stronger riders in the B grade team and then the next year I made the A grade team. It was kind of like the first time as well that I actually figured out that if you apply yourself at something you get better. Mm. Like that was, I think that would be a, sort of an easy concept to get but I just never really done anything where I'd trained before and it was just like this epiphany where I thought well like what's the limit like I can just, the, the harder I train the more I'm going to get from this and and it just seemed like um, that was kind of true. It, like I just got better and better. And um, eventually I finished school. And so you've got all these school races that um, it's very like structured and um, other people kind of organize it for you. And you're in proper age groups and you know exactly what you're doing and what's coming up. And But then when you leave school, it's a bit hard. Like you're not sure what else is out there. Um, you can't do those school races anymore, so you've got to try and find other things. And I felt like I was only just getting into it and I wanted to keep going. So I started at uni when I finished school and I had a bit more kind of free time because you know, you're left to, your, to sort of organize your own schedule a bit more. And um, so I was just scanning through trying to find something that I could do that would kind of motivate me and sort of keep this thing going. And I found uh, the K2 cycle challenge, which is uh, it's 180. They say it's 200 kilometers, but it's 180 kilometers, and it's like pretty hilly, you know, um, big, you know, three to four k climbs. And at that point, my biggest race was about 50 kilometers, so <laughs> it was a big, big step up. And I thought, well, this year I'm just going to work towards that. And, um, and so, so, so K2 back then, mm. when we were talking, is, is, is one, of the, one of the biggest races in, in, in New Zealand calendar, would you say? Mm. It, was, it definitely wasn't like the most prestigious or like biggest race, but uh, it was kind of a new race at the time. And it just seemed like it was going to be the hardest race. Like I just wanted like a big challenge. I just in, in terms of giving this 
race perspective. Mm. And this is, this is the big thing that I found interesting about K2 and coming from the UK kind of mm. racing scene. Um, in the UK, we kind of have like a circuits, you know, you kind of go around four or five times, mm. maybe a bit more, mm. um, maybe like 15, 20K kind of mm. uh, circuit. Whereas the K2 one is point to point, isn't it? A proper road race. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. And how big is the, the, how long is it? 180 kilometers, so that's like 120 miles or something. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a proper road race. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no dropping back, catching onto the bunch. No. There's no, if yeah. you're out, you're out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're out there for at least, I mean, my, I didn't really have a goal when I started training, but you know, you could be anywhere out there for anywhere between six and nine hours. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It depends how your day goes. Yeah. And um, some of these climbs are, are, are not um, easy, are they? They're not like punchy climbs. No, kind of they're, I mean, a uh, climb like Whangapoa is that will take you about 14 minutes or something. I'm not sure exactly what the, you know, that's fast people, you know, like um, slower people, I don't know, it could take them 40 minutes. And then you've got Hikawai, which is less steep, but it's quite long. That, that actually could take about the fastest guys, about 30 minutes, and the slowest people, an hour and a half, that climb. So we've got two, two climbs. If you're, if you're generally mm. good, mm. each climb is roughly about 20, 30 minutes long. Yeah. We're talking. Yeah, but, and there's, I don't know, there's probably eight or nine of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you've just got the, the distance. Okay, so, 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 so jump into your first race then mm. at K2. Yeah, also, I, I actually got a coach for that. I, I knew this guy, he was an old Dutch pro and he was keen to help me so I started training for it and I had no expectations and and he sort of looked at me and said well you know you're you're young you're like I think I was like eight you know basically said like you're doing the elite race and so I trained for it and back then the first year I did it I think Jeremy Yates won it and Jeremy Venel came second and so Jeremy Yates is one of the only New Zealanders to win a world championship road race he won the under 19 worlds and started in Thames so the first climb was Kopu Hikawai and I basically got dropped on the first climb <laughs> and I was in a small group and yeah I was I was stoked though like I was uh, I ended up just finishing you know it was a pretty brutal day but I mean I just stayed with this group and so when, I guess when you start this race, mm. you kind of have to finish it because you need to get back, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so there's no kind of like just going back around the lap. You yeah. kind of got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had, uh, I got my parents, but I had my auntie. Back then you could kind of have supporters on the course. And so I had her there and yeah, she had no idea what she was doing. I didn't really understand what I was even doing and um, so back when you were 18 what was the coaching like from your Dutch coach at the time uh, so it was event? just it was just like a um, the week sessions basically and they were just a bit of a description of you know today's a day off today's uh, five times ten minutes or something at this heart rate I had a heart rate monitor and we did like okay a so there was the, no power meters we're talking about no I didn't I didn't have a power meter not not for a few years but yeah I mean even for a few years after that, and when I had a power meter, it was still Excel spreadsheets, and mm. me just manually like looking at the um, the computer. I think I had like a Polar watch or something, and I would just kind of go through and um, look at my average speed and my average heart rate and and things like that, and just kind of plug those into a spreadsheet. I was the only person he coached, and he would give me a call on a Sunday night, and we kind of just chat about stuff and. 
so you're a coach now, so kind of mm. all these experiences you had when you were with this Dutch coach and all this mm. guy you were just grilling. Yeah. Uh, have all those kind of like experiences kind of shaped kind of how you coach now, do you think? The biggest thing I took from him was just, he just said that's what you're doing. Gave me like the confidence to do that and kind of, um, I had a goal and he kind of saw what my goal was and said it needs to be a higher goal. Mm. And that's one of the things I think I, I've kept. Like, so the two, the two kind of big experiences mm. I've kind of heard was when you, your previous coach when you were at school said, mm. meet us at half five, we're doing this race. Yeah. Not asking if you can do it or if you want to do yeah. it, you're doing it. And the same with your coach, mm. your Dutch coach saying, you're racing the elite. Mm. And it, it sounds like those guys haven't really said, do you want to do this? You know, do you feel confident? Mm. Do you want to do this? They're saying, you're doing it. Mm. And the fact that they're saying you're going to do this is kind mm. of almost give you confidence because you presume that you're good enough if they're suggesting that you do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it was like, I mean, I was definitely still apprehensive. Like I wasn't super confident, but, but then when I actually, I just kind of did what they said because I respected, especially my coach, um, I respected what he was kind of telling me and I, I left things to him and let him sort of make some decisions and that and and then when I did the race I realized actually I mean I got dropped from the the main group but I still finished and I, I did a time that most it was like well under my what I would have thought I would have done and and that led to me thinking well like again what what is the limit like what can I do like there's what's the difference between me and these professional looking guys and and then I just I kind of kept that mentality all the way through and so yeah so so from from <clears throat> K2's race kind of where did it how did it how did this transpire into you yeah and more then, racing and then and then, and then I, into coaching I had like a bit of luck so the same guy actually um he he saw this thing from Bike NZ that they were looking for expressions of interest to do this race in Tahiti and it was a like you'd ride for New Zealand and and in the team you had to have like an under 23 rider and uh, a senior rider and you know all these different things and I just kind of put my name forward not thinking I would I would get it but I was lucky in the sense that two of the guys who made the team one of them had like a knee issue and another one got this quite bad virus so two weeks or three weeks before the event I got this email saying oh, are you still interested um, if you're if you're up for it you can join the team and so then I kind of I jumped on it and thought it was an awesome experience to go overseas and do this race I, I felt like a total sort of newbie uh, outsider guy but in the race I just found that I had good legs and ended up getting the best young rider jersey for a couple of days and again it just kind of surprised me that you know I could mm. I could do this and then from there I, um, I met people in that race and this one guy, Andrew Barlow, he, um, he was living in Santa Rosa in California, but he was a Kiwi. Um, he was looking to start a team kind of thing, just like a sort of like an amateur team and he had all these contacts in like South America and um, like in Chile and Brazil and places like that. So. He, he starts this team and this is like a long story super short but we start writing for this team and he gets an invite to do this race in Brazil and Sao Paulo and it's a like a 10-day tour and he, he gets um, 
some pretty good riders to join. Like um, so we we go and do this race in in Brazil, and like one of the stages was 250 k's, just like an absolute monster. I think it was like the fourth stage. So we go over there and like again I kind of just surprised myself. I thought I was going to be like the slowest guy and um, I just seemed to, well in the beginning of the race I, I had like the best form and they so, were so, so preparing for this race and knowing you're going to be doing this, these big distances mm. um, with a, a whole team over mm. different days, mm. how do you feel? I was like pretty nervous about it, <laughs> like I mean it was kind of exciting that I got these opportunities but at the same time I, the whole time I just felt like these guys know what they're doing and I've got no idea. These nerves and how you feel and excitement, mm. are you sharing this with the guys at the time? No. or just not, not with the people I race with. I mean, it was literally like, just fake it till you make it. Just pretend like I knew what was going on. Try not to say too much. Like, um, <laughs> so we went over there and we had this uh, guy, his name was Carlos and he was kind of like our, our Brazilian tour guide slash manager and he'd organized trainers and organized all the kit and stuff. and. Uh, the cars and everything that would transport us around and um, but he, he'd got I think he'd got like three rollers my biggest fear was like I couldn't actually ride on rollers and, uh, <laughs> and so I was like I really need to get a trainer because otherwise people are going to be like give me these rollers and you know expect me to ride them and I'm going to look like a dickhead so <laughs> I, <laughs> but and as it turned out I actually didn't get a tr proper trainer the other guys kind of just you know walked up and grabbed them so I, I had to uh, go to, I made a joke about it. I don't actually know how to ride on rollers. And as it turned out, um, Scott Little, who you know, was a guy that I kind of looked up to as a rider, he also didn't know how. Like he'd been racing in France and everything in Europe and huh. doing all these big races. No and he didn't know either. So it kind of took the edge off. And I actually tried to learn how to ride on them before this, this TT. But just the anxiety going into that of like, oh crap. This is like mm. my first hurdle. It's not the race I'm worried about. It's like, you know, I can't actually ride these rollers. I felt like I was just, um, I was like running way before I could sort of walk kind of thing. I just, I was like had too much momentum and I didn't, I wasn't really learning the basics and, and all these kind of things. But it sounds like from everything you've done, all these kind of big events, mm. key events in your life, kind mm. of in racing, they've all been like, being thrown in the deep end, mm, you, know, yeah. you know, almost like um, jumping in the pool before you can swim and then yeah, just yeah. figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and like I just learned so much from them and the biggest thing I always learned was like, oh, it's not as bad as what I thought it was going to be. Like I just had this idea and I actually had people, you know, I was a young kid and like before this particular race I was terrified and um, people kind of saying, oh yeah, you're not even going to make it past stage four which is, what was that 250 kilometer one? And, you know, already having low confidence, having even less after stuff like that. So, yeah, and then I guess I had such low expectations, like I would go there and I'd just be surprised how, how well I was doing. So, yeah. so, so you, you finish this big stage race, mm. and then where do you go from there? Like, what's the, so you come back to New Zealand at some point, and uh, you continue racing in that yeah, in just, local uh, racing scene? Yeah, just did everything I could. Just um, There was lots of races in New Zealand. I mean, we have big tours here. Um, Tourist South, I think I did Tourist South and that year. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that was actually one of the hardest things I've ever done, Tara Southland. So the, uh, and in terms of scale of how big this event is, you know, there is even a lot of uh, pro teams that go there, or even uh, continental teams, yeah, I've noticed, yeah, that, that like go and race. Pro, pro continental yeah. type, like um, a lot of Kiwis who race overseas and, and these teams would tell their teammates, oh, come over and do Tara Southland. So you'd get, um, try to think, we actually that year, I think it was that year we had uh, Floyd Landis came over this is after his doping thing someone had financed him coming over and racing on this team and so I'm interested in how you kind of went from racing at this level mm. kind of like domestically mm. um, and also some of these stage races you've been doing so how do you get into from there to then becoming a coach now kind of helping other people kind of get to that point well when I did that race in Brazil we did it again the next year and I did some other races NRS races in Australia and lots of racing that year and then but the guy Carlos uh, from Brazil I kind of kept in contact with him and he was going to start a team in Brazil and um, so I actually went over there for kind of a season didn't work out well at all I went from having a team that was going to do all these tours like in Sao Paulo and around like like Rio de Janeiro and like all these cool places and a few tours in and like a lot of one day races but it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be and I came back a little bit sort of demoralized because I kind of didn't really have any other pathways like any so at this point was 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 racing like career choice kind of yeah it was I I put a little bit of a hold on uni um, and I, I was mostly just traveling around just racing and I really enjoyed coaching and I felt like I had all these experiences that um, and all these lessons and things that I could kind of pass on to people and and I was doing the sports science degree at uni and I was really into I was I was starting to take ownership of my own training a bit and experimenting with things and um, at this point I'd got a new coach who was more sort of a sports scientist and yeah we would I would just learn heaps from him and and then yeah I, I kind of just slowly decided that I wanted to get into coaching and then there were some guys that were doing it as a job and I didn't really think it was going to be a full-time sort of thing but yeah just slowly slowly got into it so my old coach the sort of ex-pro guy was more just everything was based on his experience and just anecdotal kind of stuff and things that he'd done and um, yeah it was it was good uh, but definitely around that time there was more of like this science science base coming out and you know uh, I wanted to know like why I was doing things more than just being told like just do that yeah yeah so this is kind of like a you got coached by a traditional old-school coach and yeah, now you were yeah. it was kind of like an would you say like a new age of coaching yeah using a bit of science I to guess, yeah yeah and just yeah you could explain why you do this and why you do that and the importance of like recovery and why you do this kind of session and um, and the yeah the reason for everything which I just appealed to me a lot more yeah and then so I, I was doing all the stuff at uni and uh, one of my assignments I had to do I had to get some work experience in the industry so I went to this guy Gordon McCauley who he still runs a, a coaching company at the moment he's more he's got like a bike shop now but I went to him and sort of said, kind of got this project and, and he just hit me back with a message and said, uh, actually, I'm super busy, like, do you want a job? So I was like, okay, sweet. Uh, again, it was kind of like thrown in the deep end a little bit. Um, so I, yeah, kind of met up with him and he's a very kind of, you know, once he's got an idea, he's just kind of off with it and just kind of threw me in the deep end. And 
you know, had a laptop, was using training pegs and just started coaching people. Hello listeners, it's me, John, interrupting this broadcast to ask you guys a favour. Now, I'm hoping you enjoy the podcast because if you're at this point, I'm sure you are. The favour I want to ask, if you get some time, I would really, really appreciate it if you could put a review together within the podcast app you use. Uh, Mainly iTunes is, is a good place. What it's going to do is really help me get this podcast out there to other listeners as well. The more we look into it, the more I find out reviews really do make a difference. So if you do get some spare time after listening to this podcast, then I'd really appreciate it if you could put some review together and share that with the wider world. It will help other people find the podcast and hopefully spread the word a little bit about what I'm doing. And we're going to jump back into the podcast uh, and Logan's going to tell us how he got into coaching for himself after working with his coaching partner for a while. Uh, Logan, take it away. Uh, so I, I had a few other people that I coached, you know, obviously you build this relationship over some of the guys I was coaching, I had coached continuously for four years at that point and I built this relationship with them and they kind of stuck with me and we just continued the process but yeah, I maybe had about maybe eight riders in the beginning. Uh, maybe a few more. I mean, just word of mouth, really. You just, you, I just focus on doing a good job and um, sort of making sure that people feel the value and, and, you know, they sort of need it in a way. And then, you know, when they're all, all cyclists, you know, they, they have friends that get into it and things, so they, they recommend. I have different levels of coaching, so some people want, like, really in-depth uh, programs and things, and they, they want, like, a lot more feedback and stuff, so I have about uh, 20 riders. It takes a lot more time, and then have, like, another 20 that uh, get, like, a program, and I kind of uh, just try and, you know, through the group rides and things, just catch up with them. And So how, uh, many, how many people are you coaching altogether? You count the school, so, like, 30 kids and then because I, I see it as not just the specific like how many people are on a program kind of thing I kind of think of it as how many people am I sort of helping and affecting and I mean there'd be 60 70 maybe so 60 70 people on a weekly basis you're you're catching up with managing organizing yeah, yeah probably about 40 40 or so that I'm kind of keeping close tabs on yeah 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 so what would you say if you had to come up with like I guess three key things throughout your whole kind of history of, of being a coaching team, being coached to where you are now running grit. What are the what are the big things that have kind of like decided what you're doing now and, and, and kind of impact kind of how you coach? Big things is obviously making sure that the goals that you pick are like sufficient. You know, like a lot of people just don't understand what they're sort of capable of. More so, like you'd think it'd be the opposite, that people would kind of pick these massive goals that are just ridiculous and unachievable, um, having like the confidence. And this goes back to kind of like when you've been thrown into the, being pushed to a different level. Yeah. I guess sometimes I I don't, I'm not as extreme as what those people were with me um, because I understand that uh, like people's sort of self-esteem is quite fragile and if they do fail that's that's negative so um, but I guess yeah just making sure that your goal is like outside of your comfort zone is, is, a, is a big thing um, that's probably the best way I'd sort of put it mm. not not so far that it's completely unrealistic but it's definitely got to be outside of your comfort zone and then um, I guess just with cycling another big thing is the 
it's that getting out of your comfort zone that's where you do all the learning and, and improving and, and stuff like that I mean as a coach the idea is to try and push people push them and like their bodies you know their physiology just outside of its comfort zone so that it, it kind of improves and and gets better people don't really see that, that obviously you train on your own mostly mm. or you, you kind of train in a group but the level you kind of have to push yourself is always about going somewhere uncomfortable would you say yeah, yeah each session you do is kind of pushing yourself to a slightly uncomfortable level but maybe not all the time but it's to yeah. the point where you have to stress yeah. a little bit more and you look at the pros and you see them on tv and looking mm. fresh and cool mm -hmm. and in a bus and, and mm. all this kind of cool gear but mm. when you don't see them it's mostly when they're kind of pushing themselves to a point where mm. they're stressing their body how do, you, how do you coach people to 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 keep that up because i'm sure that's maybe that, that that those kind of like stress moments when they're out there doing mm. up this hour it's cold it's it's early mm. it's mm. whatever almost like the, the the straw that breaks the camel's back yeah know? i mean that's that's the balance that's i guess that's my whole job is uh trying to find that sort of limit where you can push people but you just have to back that up with it, it's it's balance i mean it's kind of you you go from one extreme and then to the other you know you've got to give people that time to recover and yeah it's 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 a fine line but i guess making the hard days hard and the easy days easy you've got to have that time off and that's where the community part of it comes in like when we go for an endurance ride you know as a group it's it's also just a fun thing it's they're not out there by themselves they're they're chatting and you know we stop for coffee and and all that kind of thing that's the that's the flip side to it that's kind of that's like recharging a bit versus the you know, go out at 5.30 in the morning on Tamaki Drive and smash out intervals and, you know, solo, <laughs> just battling with yourself and, and all that. That You know, that just wears people down. Mm -hmm. uh, and do you think battling against yourself, the mental aspect of, of coaching is as important as the, the physical part of it? Yeah, well? I think that's the bit where people struggle. It's, it's, I mean, the physiology part and the what sessions to do, I mean, there's a bit of, you know, an art science to that and it's not easy but um but where people come unstuck is mostly is just the the mental side and the the feelings of you know can they do it and and the unknown and all that kind of stuff and the the stress of that like we've i've just done the um world grand fondo champs in italy and try and encourage people to do that so we had um two people that i coach doing that and you know for them like the first time that they've gone overseas to do a race and it's kind of a big thing they had to qualify to do it yeah I mean just all sorts of things they have kids and jobs and they're trying to balance everything and it, it, as as the event gets closer it gets more and more daunting and um, and the anxiety of you know not performing at the level that they want and it kind of just it, it snowballs and gains momentum and and just trying to you know help people through that and offer you know I've got like so many experiences where you know uh, I thought things were going to be terrible and, and and stuff and I try and sort of give some of those experiences. So, so when you when you mentioned earlier about the uh, you know going to Brazil and all these mm. um, all the anxiety you had about mm. going and, and mm. like speaking out loud about stuff yeah do you feel kind of what you're doing is kind of like kind of bringing down that barrier for people yeah. to sort of open yeah, up? Yeah. And I feel like I've the empathy for them I guess like I they don't have to say anything I can kind of I've been there and sort of understand maybe how they're feeling and I just try and talk them through it and I mean yeah one of the 
the, the lady that went, I mean, she'd, she'd created all these um, expectations and pressures and, and things that were just, they were like a roadblock for her to actually just get on and just do the training. And, you know, they were just ca causing her all sorts of, um, like, mental strain and, and stuff. And, yeah, just being able to try and, I guess, and the other thing is, like, when, you know, because I guess I'm the person people look at as being, like, the expert or that you know that kind of pro looking rider or whatever that knows what to do they don't sort of see the whole backstory of how I got there and all the struggles and stuff that I, I went through and I try and be as open and sort of honest as I can about all my sort of struggles and and stuff and you know like I used to go to races when I first started and like the anxiety I would have for a race was epic like I didn't even know why I enjoyed racing I really I didn't enjoy it I, I hated it <laughs> but for some reason I, I was motivated to to train and, and build up for these events it was it was kind of bizarre because now I love racing like I, I like it more than training mm. I just find it fun and I find the you know moving through the bunch and the speed and the aggression and trying to beat other people I, that really um, sort of motivates me but it never used to in the beginning it's quite interesting because the people I know kind of in the racing scene especially mm. at kind of like a like a semi-pro kind of level mm. um, you know we see all those kind of like superstars that kind of like do all these great things they go on to have kind of careers in cycling kind of after yeah but it's almost like a like a like a kind of dark side to, to cycling as well where oh, yeah. you know people have grown up within cycling they've been in teams they've been paid to do what they do they kind of work hard through the pain through everything mm. But then when they get to the end, they, they don't want anything to do with cycling anymore. Yeah, they yeah. kind of go beyond the point where it becomes enjoyable. Mm. Um, well, yeah, there, there was a point, especially in my sort of cycling, where I just felt like cycling was taking way more away from me just as a person and in lots of different ways than I was getting from it. Like, it just seemed like a, just a waste of time and energy. And... Uh, at, at a certain point and yeah sort of it took a few years and um to sort of i mean now i just i i see so much value in it and all those kind of experiences before of all the challenges and things i mean those are the things that i sort of like i'm so thankful that i got to do like all the all the i mean yeah just crazy stuff um you know that just it's kind of made me who i am and you know um and now I, I really seek it out like the whole point of me going to Worlds was I wanted to just chance of me winning was low but I just wanted to be put against top riders and almost have those feelings that I had when I was younger and you know I'm doing another race the New Zealand Cycle Classic in January and that's going to be the same that's you know sort of all the up-and-coming sort of pro riders from Australia New Zealand and, and all over like now I, I work 50 hours a week and I don't ride as much as I can so I'm going to go there and you know I'm going to finish and, and stuff but I'm definitely not going to be probably in the mix against guys who just that's their, their sole focus mm. but you just get put in all these like super tough situations where you know you're going up some climb and you desperately want to want to give up and just let go but you know you, you sort of push through and you learn yeah, I'm still like learning heaps. Say for example, I'm someone that doesn't have a coach. Mm. I'm riding my bike at whatever level. Um, what kind of advice would you give to someone thinking about hiring a coach to, to 
you know, say if I've ever got a goal set, mm. that might be, you know, um, to get even fitter than I am to some level or mm. uh, to, to, to compete in a certain event. What kind of things should they, should someone start thinking about and, and how should they go about kind of reaching out to coaches and... Yeah, I guess um, you've got to kind of, you know, these days coaches advertise pretty well, so you've got a pretty good idea of what they're about and, and what they offer and, and things like that. So then I, I would start just, you know, do some searches and, and talk to people. Uh, if you know anyone that that's, uh, you know, a decent cyclist and, you know, talk to them about, you know, who they'd kind of recommend and and then, you know, meet up with the coach and just have a chat with them and you've got to like the person. And I kind of find if you talk to the person, you'll quickly, you'll quickly know if, if that person kind of makes sense or, if they you know, you think maybe they're they're a bit off or something or or whatever. Um, so just yeah, meet up with them and and chat with them if you like them as a person, and you know, tell them your goals and get them to give you a bit of a an idea of what what they kind of think they they're gonna have, you know the plan I guess, mm. and um, and if it feels right, then then go with it. And and, and and what about if someone's not sure whether they need a coach, mm. whether it's really important to have one, or maybe yeah. the early into their kind of cycling um, yeah. career, I guess, you know, what, what would you there's, say? There's definitely, I've, I've coached a few people that I, I think don't need coaches um, and it just kind of hasn't, hasn't worked. Like um, there's, there's people that they need, they need advice and guidance, but they don't need the specific kind of program and maybe the, yeah, exactly what the, the coach is kind of offering as a, as a business. But the idea is like most newbie riders would benefit from a coach there's like this misconception, like a lot of people will meet up with me and they kind of think, oh, you know, like maybe I need to train a bit before I come and see you, but that's the whole point, like, and. But that's the same as when I always hear people say, I don't want to do a race, I want to get a little bit fitter before a race. Yeah. But sometimes you almost need to go and do it to see. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise you don't know like what you're training for or, yeah. you know, what, what to expect. I mean, I think, and you know, a coach, a good coach is more than just like a program. Um, should be able to just help you with all sorts of things you know like um you know i'm constantly people are asking me like what what equipment you know like um a good question i get is i've got x amount of money i'm, I'm really into cycling um i want to buy something you know to, to make me go faster what what's what can i buy <laughs> and uh you know just questions like that i mean that's that that's what a coach is for so so would you say almost like coaching is it's less about giving you this training plan to so get on your bike at this time, do this, this and this. Mm. And it's more about coaching people's behavior and, and... Yeah, it's just just cycling in general. I mean, there's so many facets to it. It's not just about, it's not just about building a big engine either. Like there's all sorts of, you know, bunch etiquette, um, equipment is confusing. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things and, you know, a good coach is uh, their experience. They've, they've been riding a, a long time, um, and and yeah, and, and I guess another thing would be to um, you know maybe talk to people that the coaches coached before as well. So when we talked about the mental side, mm. which is a which is kind of like a people don't really expect that to be a big challenge for them. Mm. You know, their own mind being able to do mm. um, parts of training. What what advice would you give to people who are kind of either at the point where they're struggling uh, mentally, or, or or something's blocking them kind of from getting past a certain point? Mm. You know? 
what would you what would you advise yeah so that, that's one of those questions where um, it really depends on the person because I guess what I would do is I would talk to them and figure out what that block is you know for some people it is maybe their goal isn't sort of strong enough like they're they're not just driven enough to kind of push through but maybe you know, I mean, there's so many different things. Like maybe, maybe they're just not enjoying it. Maybe they're not getting that balance of rest and recovery and and training load. Yeah, I would say probably the biggest thing would be just have a have a strong goal. Lots of people, uh, I start with them, and you on the surface they're like mentally soft, maybe, and or not disciplined and stuff. But you start giving them focus and direction, and like all of a sudden they just they turn into a completely different person. And it's almost like you you unlock what they already had. So besides doing the coaching, mm. um, you also have like an extracurricular kind of activity which we're sitting in right now. Yeah, yeah. Do you want yeah. to talk about a little bit about what you do here? Yeah, so we're sitting in the bike fit uh, studio in Mount Eden Cycles. So I, I work between the two stores, uh, Mount Eden and Hot Cycles, uh, doing their bike fit. So that's kind of another aspect of kind of ties in with the coaching a bit. Like I see a lot of people that, you know, their bike position, especially new riders that have kind of just bought a bike and they just jump on it and um, they're not really set up. And for, for anyone that's kind of been cycling for a while, kind of got their good fit, mm. and they go out riding. And I'm sure people listening that would, would, would know what I mean. You can really spot someone that isn't set up to ride that bike. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's interesting as well, like it's the same, I mean, there's that same, like cycling has this kind of old school, um, you know, like I guess old pro type information source where, you know, um, a lot of people set their bikes up and their training up based on old school kind of methods and, you know, uh, like the school kids are the worst. They, they have these super long stems slam them you know th their arms are fully extended and mm. they're um they wonder why they get like neck pain and knee issues because their seats are jacked up real high how important is it to to have a bike that's set up just for you you know because i mean i've spent time working in a bike shop and and you know you're kind of good if someone steps on a bike you kind of just raise it to the hip level yeah. get them on it they kind of look okay yeah maybe yeah. it's cool for someone just chatting yeah. about commuting but um yeah how important is it for, uh, I mean, I guess anyone listening that might have had a bit of knee pain, a bit of back pain, a bit of neck pain. I yeah. mean, I, did, I have the same problems sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what, would you, what would you tell them people to, to kind of look out for? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of the most important things. I mean, the, um, you can buy, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, fancy bikes, you know, you spend 10 grand on a bike or whatever. Um, it's not set up. I mean, you will not produce power. You you will feel sore, uh, you can't handle the bike properly, you know, so you go into a race and you've got this fast bike in theory that just feels terrible. Um, I mean, I, I personally, I would rather have a, a cheap, heavy bike that fits me perfectly, that, you know, I can handle and, and doesn't make me sore, rather than like, you know, the, the best super bike uh, that just doesn't fit me at all, like a, a you know, frame that's too big or something. Like road bikes as well, they're really important. You know, you're gonna do, do something like round Taupo, um, you're gonna be on the bike for say, four and a half, five hours. You gotta be comfortable and you gotta, gotta be able to produce power. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, example, riding back home, mm. you know, riding a bike every day for 100 mm. plus kilometers, yeah. you know, 
being able to feel comfortable is probably going to be quite important. Yeah, yeah, and then you've got the you know injury prevention as well. Like you know, some people are quite symmetrical and they jump on a bike, and as long as the seat height's kind of at the right height and stuff, they're not going to have any issues. But I mean, most people have got um, leg length discrepancies. They've got muscle imbalances. And basically, a bike is a symmetrical object, and, and a person is an asymmetrical object, and you know, you do thousands and thousands and thousands and of repetitions, you know, you can cause all these overuse injuries and knees and hips and lower back and shoulders. You know, you, it's not the most enjoyable experience if uh, if it's not comfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so Logan's advice is, is, is just don't suffer, guys. Yeah, There's pretty no much. need to suffer. I mean, yeah, with this 3D system that we have, you can, it basically gives you um, joint angles, but also joint motion. So you've got like knee, knee tracking and um, hip stability. So you've got like vertical and horizontal. Um, and from that, I mean, basically if you've got, um, say vertical travel in the hips or even horizontal travel, like we call it squirming. So if you're too stretched out, basically your body's gonna try and compensate by um, sort of rotating like your hips. You know, that, that just means that you, you might not really feel it, but your body is in this constant kind of tension the whole time. It's not, and it's, it's, it's kind of past its range of motion. So if we can put your body in a, and within its range of motion and in a stable position, then yeah, you'd be surprised. Like people, some people get a bike fit because they just think, oh, I need to get a bike fit. And they don't even realize um, how uncomfortable they are until they're in like a nice comfortable yeah. position and they think oh wow this is awesome. a lot of pros actually aren't the best examples um, I mean they are they have you know ridiculously strong core they, they have they're, they're quite younger than a lot of people that that are getting into cycling um, but yeah they're, they're kind of set up for like performance and, and racing and um, they also spend thousands and thousands of hours in those positions and their bodies adapt to them. The average person, if you try and just copy a pro position, your body's not adapted in the same way. You know, you don't, you're not as flexible in certain areas and, and things. So if you just copy what you see on the Tour de France, um, you're probably gonna be quite uncomfortable. Like anything, it's a bit of a process as well. You, you can't just put yourself in a slam position. Mm. Like a lot of the school kids, you know, like some of them aren't too flexible uh, and they're like, 14, 15 years old, but they, they watch the Tour de France and they, they slam their stem, they put a, a super long stem on. Whereas, you know, if we pulled them back and put them in a, a neutral position for their body and said, okay, like, this is what you need to work on to get better and and say three, four months, we're gonna just drop, drop your stem a little bit, get you a little bit more aero and sort of coach them on like getting your elbows in when you ride and, and bend, bend your elbows and, and things like that over time. Like if you look at photos of me when I started, uh, I look completely different on a bike to now and it's just because, you know, I've spent years and years and years riding a bike. I just did one yesterday with a, a kid and um, he'd been riding with his saddle up so high for so long and also like really stretched out in a really low handlebar position. Um, when we sort of move things, it, it improves some of his uh, measurements. Not as much as I would have thought, but basically I said to him, we can't actually, I can't put you in the position that I want you to be in because I don't think your body's gonna react to it very well. Um, so what we did was, is we sort of went halfway and I said, okay, we're gonna try that for a while we'll look at this again in a few weeks, months. So when you talk about um, 
the, the flexibility of someone mm. and you can't put them in a certain position that you want them to be in yeah and that's just because their body doesn't naturally go in that way yeah. and they need to do a bit more yeah. Yeah. outside of cycling to, to, to achieve it yeah yeah definitely like if, if you're inflexible then you know incorporate it but there's a difference between flexibility and mobility just being like you could get a yoga instructor and they would be super flexible but they're not they might not be you know and you can put them in a really aggressive uh, super aero position but they might like their range of strength might be quite narrow so if you imagine like doing a bicep curl you know when you fully extend your arm and lift a weight it's difficult and as you get closer to your your fist gets closer to your shoulder it gets easier and easier because the the muscle has a natural sort of strength range so and that's the same with all your muscles so um, a, a yoga instructor who's super flexible might not have the strength and in an aggressive range they might have to still sit up quite a bit advice for actually someone who wants to get into coaching um, you know has a few people that they, they know need some coaching um, maybe they want to make it a career you know what kind of advice would you give to, to, to people looking to make a step into training other people my advice would be don't try and make it a job straight away like just you can coach for free like just um, get some experience just find people that need some help I guess one, one thing is making sure that you're not sort of putting people down the wrong path like I would say always be humble as well like don't think that you have all the answers so you know you know I'm going pedaling back home yeah. uh, next year kind of be doing 100k roughly a day I mean I've not yeah. worked it out yet but yeah. I'll, be, I'll be traveling pretty much for a year mm. so besides getting a really good bike fit to make sure I'm comfortable yeah, yeah. going the whole way home yeah what kind of advice would you give me to 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 get kind of training for for or just yeah being able to endure that kind of that kind of um effort yeah um yeah bike fit would be pretty key because how long are you spending like what what's a, a typical day gonna be um i've kind of looked at it from the perspective of at least covering 100k okay. um and then probably even riding uh riding you know in a, in a week riding five five days yeah um and then having the, the two extra days as a buffer between like interviewing more people or yeah. um or just enjoying you know something that's going on so yeah um i guess roughly i guess five to 700k uh, a week yeah i'd be covering yeah um yeah i mean from like a, a training point of view i mean like you you're not going to be riding super fast i imagine or you definitely want to be um, you want to be conditioned. You want to be comfortable with riding that distance. You want to be strong. You, yeah, you want again kind of that that uh, bike fit thing. You want to be stable and, and comfortable, um, and that means you know you've you've got to be you, your arms, neck, core, legs. You know you've got to be quite strong to do it day in day out. Um, I would probably maybe go to. A good like physio maybe find out you know make sure you're aware of any like imbalances and things okay. that could potentially cause issues um, you know because because you're going to be doing it day in day out um, you'll probably find certain area you might have a weak uh, glute on one side or something mm. which is going to cause a knock-on effect and and the thing is with that is you won't necessarily realize that's a problem until it's a serious problem yeah, you yeah, won't yeah. feel the pain so yeah just so it's yeah. less about actually building up fitness for on the bike it's more about building up your condition 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess um, you definitely want to do that as well. You want to, um, you're, you're not going to have to do anything super fancy, like uh, crazy intervals or anything, but I would definitely, I would start riding hills and, and riding, get, get your base fitness, make mm. sure that you can do 100Ks comfortably and at a good pace as well. Like you want to be able to ride 100Ks at comfortably, that's a quick, quickish pace. You don't want to be kind of battling away each day. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you're, you know, if you're riding at like 90% of your threshold day and day, that's quite a different experience than if you're riding at 70%, you know, you can pretty much do that. What about advice for kind of just riding home, you know, spending that much time on your own, yeah. pedaling away? <laughs> yeah, I'm not 100, I'm not like as sure about that, but <laughs> it's funny because we actually, me and my partner have, have talked about um, riding from New Zealand. She's from the UK, and so we've talked about riding um, to the UK and so we've done like a tiny bit of research and looked at the route and stuff and yeah I think like, I feel like one of your biggest challenges is going to be food and you know going to all these different countries and figuring out what you can eat and just the different culture and well thanks for, for joining me Logan on the, the very beginning of the podcast series um, taking the time out to talk about the bike fitting and also coaching um, super interesting insights as well into uh, to the mental aspect and also how you got into it. I think the, the, the biggest insight for me was your kind of experience growing up and, and mm. being thrown into these kind of big deep ends and then coming out with this community-based kind of uh, coaching. Mm. Uh, super interesting to hear that. Do you have anything more you want to add in the show? Oh, no, I think, I think that's, yeah, it's been good. It's been good to chat and it's cool to kind of tell my story a little bit and how I, how I got into it. So yeah, thanks. Well, thank you, Logan. Uh, that was an interesting podcast. I was really keen to talk to him about these coaching questions I've always had. Uh, so I gained a load of knowledge myself just listening and talking to him. So I hope you guys did as well, uh, especially about the bike fit stuff as well. I didn't realize how much thought really goes into these things. So next week, I'm chatting to chapter two. This is one of the most interesting conversations I've had on this podcast show. Uh, I'm talking to, to the guys who are creating their own bikes, uh, distributing their own bikes, designing them as well. Uh, it's super insightful if you really want to know the, the work ethic that goes into manufacturing a bike uh, and my naive questions kind of really get put to the test. Don't forget to follow my Instagram. Uh, I'm currently traveling around New Zealand at the moment. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing people on the way too. So if you know anyone on the way around New Zealand that's worth talking to, uh, please let me know. You can follow that by searching Instagram for Pedaling Podcast and stay tuned for next week.